If you were here uh, last week, you may remember that I talked about what does it mean to love Jesus. Who was here for that? Quick show of hands. Okay, cool. And um, someone emailed me afterwards, uh, which I always like, whether it's positive or negative, it's always good to get feedback. And they said, thanks for the talk, which is always a good start. And they said, as you were going through your points, I was waiting and waiting for you to say, and finally, to love Jesus means being in a relationship with him. But it never came. So I opened up the uh, talk on my computer and I I did a word search for the word relationship because I couldn't believe that I hadn't said that or said something like that. Because, of course, they were right. Uh, Loving Jesus is very much about being in a relationship with him. So I was thinking, I must have said that. But apparently, I hadn't. And I really couldn't believe that I hadn't. So I emailed back and I said, I I couldn't agree more. It is totally about being in a relationship with him. Now, my first thought was to uh, offer some excuses. uh, Like, I only had 30 minutes. Uh, or I already had five points and I really didn't want to make it six. But I didn't do that because I knew that they were right. I had missed out something important. And they were very uh, gracious about it. They emailed back to say, oh, not to worry, there's always next time. And I thought, well, you know, there's, there's actually no time like the present. Because it actually happened to fit in very well with what I wanted to talk about anyway this morning. So I haven't changed the subject, but I have changed the title. So this morning's talk is, what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? Now in other news this week, um, someone texted me to say that they'd listened to last week's talk from the website with their daughter. They didn't say what she thought of the talk, but she did say, Steve has a great voice. For Satnav. <laughs> which, yeah, oh, which reminds me of the person who said I had a great face for radio. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on, what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? And, and the first thing we need to say is that it means all of those things that I spoke about last week. So if you missed it, do please watch the talk or listen to it. Uh, you can always pretend that you're listening to Satnav. And especially important is the very first point that I made, which is 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. The very first thing that we have to grasp, because everything else flows from it, is that God started it. We love him because he first loved us. The starting point for us being in a relationship with him is to truly understand how much he wants to be in a relationship with us. Now otherwise, um, quite a lot of what I'm going to be saying this morning will sound like legalism and what you ought to do as a Christian, as a duty and a burden, and we don't want that. Now last week I discovered a feature on my phone that I didn't know was there. I definitely didn't ask for it. I came across it by mistake when I was swiping across the screen. And along with the weather and the FTSE 100, I saw that there was something called screen time. 
And the morning that I was writing today's talk, it told me that so far that day, I'd spent 44 minutes on my phone, which surprisingly, and perhaps encouragingly, depending on how you look at it, was one hour 54 minutes below my average. Of that 44 minutes on my phone, 17 minutes have been spent on social networking and 12 minutes on what it called productivity. Now, I was very tempted to Google, what does iPhone mean by productivity? But I wasn't entirely sure whether I wanted to know the answer. But I did come across an article that looked quite interesting. Uh, this was by a, a guy who was offering how to configure your iPhone to work for you, not against you. He said the iPhone can be an incredible tool, but most people use their phone as a life-shortening distraction device. However, if you take the time to follow the steps in this article, you will be more productive, more focused, and live longer. Now, no hyperbole there then, obviously. But I must say that until that moment, I'd never thought of my phone as a, quote, life-shortening distraction device. But it does sound good to be more productive and more focused and to live longer, doesn't it? But I wonder whether you've ever sat down to think about and analyse how much time you spend on your phone and how much time you spend on other things. A little while ago, the Office for National Statistics did what offices for national statistics do, which is to do a survey and come up with some national statistics for how people in the UK use their time. And some of the results were very interesting. I don't know how well you can see this on the screen. I got this from their website, but along the bottom is mean average hours per week in two-and-a-half-hour segments. And then on the side are the different activities. So at the top, it starts with participatory activities, for example, church, followed by cultural activities. So they obviously don't think that church and culture have very much in common. Then there's eating out, resting or taking time out, playing sports or outdoor pursuits, hobbies, computing or games, then socialising, and right at the bottom, the winner by a country mile is time spent on mass media. Some other interesting results from the survey. Apparently, overall, men spend more time on leisure activities than women. Who would have thought that? On average, apparently, men spend six hours and nine minutes a day compared to women who spend five hours and 29 minutes a day. However, women spend more time on social activities, which includes talking, but isn't just talking. Four hours and 19 minutes a week compared with three hours and two minutes a week. Who says you never learn anything at Aylesbury Vineyard? Fascinating stats. Now, the age group spending the most time on leisure activities is those aged 65 and over, and the age group spending the least time is 25 to 34-year-olds. And then finally, although we spend most of our leisure time with other people, apparently we spend 29%, an average of 100 minutes a day, on our own. Now, one of the features of modern life that we probably all recognise is a sometimes overwhelming sense of busyness. 
If you ask someone over the coffee and donuts on a Sunday morning, how's your week been? The chances are they'll say something like, good, but busy. Oliver Berkman did some research for a Radio 4 website article called Why You Feel Busy All the Time When You're Actually Not. And he said this, Few facts about modern life seem more indisputable than how busy everyone seems to be. Across the industrialised world, large numbers of survey respondents tell researchers they're overburdened with work at the expense of time with family and friends. And it's possible that the most overwhelmed people weren't even asked how they felt. According to one 2014 study, one major reason people decline to take part in surveys is that they feel too busy. You might assume the explanation was straightforward. We feel so much busier these days because we've got so much more to do. But you'd be wrong. The total time people are working, whether paid or otherwise, has not increased in Europe or North America in recent decades. Modern parents who worry they're spending insufficient time with their children spend significantly more of it than those in generations past. But however much it may be real or perceived, busyness certainly seems to characterise our world. And if we always feel that we're operating with a time deficit, that we never have enough time to fit in everything that we ought to be doing, then there's every likelihood that it's our relationship with Jesus that ends up getting squeezed out. And I think partly that is because Jesus is invisible. But the kids and the washing and cleaning the kitchen and doing the ironing and walking the dog, they aren't invisible, are they? They are in our face. So it's very easy for them to be shouting louder when Jesus doesn't shout at all. And just as our passion for spending time with each other can go cold when, we're, when we feel we're exhausted and we can't fit in everything we have to do, and the last thing we feel we can face is going out to a midweek connect group. So too, when we feel like that, our passion for Jesus can grow cold as well. When the pressure of other stuff in life gets to us, it's so easy to feel that we're not connected to him. God feels distant. Our relationship with him is just surviving rather than thriving. And maybe that's one of the reasons why when he was talking about the end of the age in Matthew 24, Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. So don't let that happen to you. And in Revelation 2.4, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I have this complaint against you. You've walked away from your first love. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, the apostle Paul tells the church, don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, don't lose the intensity of the Holy Spirit's presence and moving in your life. Don't let that fire inside go out. Which you might think is just about metaphorically throwing another log on the fire from time to time. And I wonder whether maybe sometimes that's how you've visualized Sunday morning church somewhere to go to throw another log on that fire, to keep you going through the week until that flame's nearly gone by next Sunday. But I came across an incredible poem by a lady called Judy Brown, 
that I think puts a totally different slant on how we think about this in terms of what that fuel is and where the fire comes from. And the poem is called Fire. I'd like to read it to you, and as I do, you might like to close your eyes, or you can just read it on the screen if that works better for you. But just think about it as if it's talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit in the busyness of your life. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs, packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces, in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. The spaces that we create are as important as the logs that we put on for that fire of the Holy Spirit, that presence of God to be burning in our lives. As she says, building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. So the question is, are we allowing those spaces? Are we creating those spaces, leaving openings in our lives in which that flame of the Holy Spirit that knows just how he wants to burn can find his way? The fire grows when the space is there, as the poem puts it. Now this stuff is really convicting for me because I don't do space very well. I hate wasting time. I hate being delayed or being late. I don't like gaps in my schedule. Basically, I don't like space. Where there is space, I tend to want to fill it. Now, I've spent 40 years um, work and what I'm doing now, traveling around the world on dozens, if not hundreds, of flights. And when we were in the States a, a couple of weeks ago, I missed only my second flight ever. Uh, Lynn and I were driving back from Red Bluff Vineyard, where we'd been uh, with our friends, Luke and Dawn Geraghty, and we were flying to Minneapolis from San Francisco, which is about a three-hour drive. And they said to us, leave an extra hour on top of that. So we did. And we left another two hours before the departure time. So we left at about five in the morning. But there was a, a fatal accident on the San Francisco Bay Bridge. And we were stuck in traffic on the bridge when they closed it, which meant a three-hour delay in the car. And we ended up missing the flight by 30 minutes. Now, I think I handled that pretty well, considering. Um, Lynn isn't here at the moment, so she can't uh, correct what I'm saying. 
But anyway, we spent the whole day in the airport wasting all that time until we finally managed to get on another flight that arrived in Minneapolis at 5.30 in the morning, left at midnight. Uh, the red eye, they call it, and you can understand why. So, me personally, I don't handle that kind of stuff very well. But I think for all of us, however well or badly we do it, making space in our lives generally, if we're going to have the fire of the Holy Spirit burning deep inside us, then we are going to need intentionality. Maybe that's the word of the day this morning, intentionality. People say there isn't enough time for this or that or the other. And it's true. There isn't enough time. Did you know there is a world shortage of time? So we have to manufacture it. We have to make it. We have to create it. Because it won't be there in our lives unless we do. We're going to need intentionality in spending time with Jesus. Intentionality in creating spaces so that fire can burn. Intentionality in creating gaps in our schedule. For some of us, we have to realize that there is a spiritual battle going on in our life in which our enemy wants to tell us that the only time we've got for Jesus is the time that we've got left over when everything else is done, including our phone, our social media, and our box sets. Song of Solomon 2.10 in the Old Testament says this, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. And the early church understood that allegorically. In other words, they understood that that was what Jesus was saying to them. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. Come and spend time with me, just the two of us. Come away with me without your iPhone, just the two of us. Don't just wait to see what time is left over and fit me in after everything else. In the New Testament, John chapter 15, Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. To remain has got nothing to do with Jesus taking a view on Brexit. It means for us to stay with him, to linger with him, to not rush away, to keep on being with him. And if you read that chapter 11 times, in that one chapter, Jesus uses that word, remain in me, remain in my love. The older translations say, abide in me, which will please any Welsh people here this morning. And it means the same thing. It means to wait in expectation, to pause from the rest of life, and to linger in his presence. 
Now, you may be thinking, yes, I need that. I really do need that. I would love to do that. And I'm going to do that starting tomorrow. But before you rush into doing something, then I want to make some practical suggestions before you do. Because the first is that whenever we suddenly realise that we need to change something in our life, we're in danger of going way over the top and trying too hard and crashing and burning. Most of us set unrealistic goals when we do that. Now, I'm sure none of us ever have, but apparently people in other churches have. Here's a few examples. Even though I haven't worked out in years, I'm going to train for an hour a day, six days a week, and become a bodybuilder. Clearly, I haven't followed that advice. Even though I eat McDonald's twice a day and KFC in between, I'm going to eat nothing but salads until next Christmas. And even though my body is used to waking up at nine o'clock, I'm now going to get up at five, starting tomorrow and do an hour's quiet time every day. Now, for anyone who's ever said anything like that to themselves, can I please give you some advice? Do not overreach yourselves because it's a recipe for failure. Celebrate what you can achieve so you don't have to feel despair and feel guilty about what you haven't or you didn't or you couldn't. So if you want to get in shape, then start by doing one push-up a day. And if you want to get to know your Bible better, start by reading one chapter a day. Discover the power in small wins. They say that the real key to making a habit stick is to make it so small that you can't say no. To make it so easy that you really can't fail. Always leave yourself wanting more at the end. Now, talking of habits, another reason that we need to start small and to take our time is because the experts will tell us that it takes somewhere between three weeks and three months to form a new habit until it becomes automatic and embedded in our daily life. And fostering good habits is really important. The author James Clear says that our life today is essentially the sum of our habits. And that's the good ones and the bad ones. What we repeatedly do, he says, what we spend time thinking about and doing each day ultimately forms the person we are, the things we believe, and the person we portray. The psychologists talk about the neuroscience of habit formation. They say that every habit starts with a psychological pattern called a habit loop, which is a multi-part circular process. And I've adapted this from a few different models to make it a bit easier to remember. It starts with the desire. I want to do this. I want to invest time in my relationship with Jesus. I want to know him better. I want to be closer to him. And I want to know the Bible better. I want it enough that I'm willing to give up a little bit of something else in my day to make it happen. Then comes the decision, what I'm going to do about that. Desiring without also deciding just leads to failure and guilt. 
if I never decide when and where and how I'm going to actually do it, then that desire on its own will never be enough. It will never happen. So put it in the diary. Write post-it notes as reminders and put them round the house, on the kitchen cupboards, on the fridge, on your bathroom mirror, on the back of your front door and in your car so that you're seeing them regularly throughout the day. Set up an alarm on your phone for that time. Set up a prayer triplet where you can be accountable to a couple of other people and you can WhatsApp each other and ask, how did you get on today? And then after that comes the actual doing. Making sure that you start so small that you can't fail. Maybe five minutes listening, five minutes praying, one chapter of the Bible. No more than that. Or make it two minutes listening and two minutes praying. And then do that successfully for three weeks before you even think about doing any more than that. Always leave yourself wanting more. And make sure that the doing is on your own, in a quiet place. Not just while you're driving or walking the dog or cooking or doing your day job. Make sure it's somewhere that you can cut out everything else and just be one-on-one with Jesus. And then finally, if spending time with Jesus, if investing in that relationship is going to become a habit in our lives, then we need to have found it rewarding. That's why we have to always leave ourselves wanting more. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We need to have found ourselves closer to Jesus as a result. We need to have found it transforming. Not just that we learned something and that we said some things to him, but that we've heard from him as well in conversation. We need to have found it so delightful, so rewarding, that it gives us that desire to do it the next day and the next day and the next day as that habit loop continues. Desire, it's something I really want to do. Decide, it's something I'm going to do. This is when and where and how I'm going to do it. Then doing what I've decided. And then delight, enjoying the fruit of the time that I've spent with him. Now, I I did say a moment ago, make sure that you do it on your own in a quiet place, not just while you're doing other stuff as well. But do also be with Jesus and talk to him and listen to him at those times too. Absolutely do that as much as you can throughout the day. What I mean is, don't let your relationship with him be defined only by those times when you're doing other things as well. Because there is casual time with Jesus and there's intentional time with Jesus. So please, let's not be Christians who only ever spend casual time with him. Let's make it both and Both and, both and. Mike Cartwright, are you around? Do you want to join me? Thank you. So what do you say? Where are you at in your relationship?
with Jesus this morning. If we're going to build that relationship, then it starts with the desire. Do we have that desire in our hearts? And then if we do, it's about a decision. They say that today is the first day of the rest of your life, don't they? And that's true. But it can also be the first day of a new life, of a different kind of life, where we begin to form some good and better and different habits. So I wonder where you feel you're at this morning. Maybe that you've never heard about being in a relationship with Jesus before, and you never thought that that was something that was possible. Well, I want to tell you this morning, absolutely you can, absolutely it is. And we have a lovely, friendly prayer team who would love to pray with you about that and introduce you to him and start that relationship off. Maybe you already are in a relationship with Jesus, but you know that you've let your love for him grow a bit cold, that you're not as close as you could be and you should be and you'd like to be. And maybe this morning you've heard a a roadmap as to how to get there from here. So maybe you've got a decision to make this morning about creating space around those logs where that fire can burn. And I think like all good decisions, the best decisions are all the better if you tell someone about it, you tell them what you've decided, you tell them what you want to happen. So again, our lovely, friendly prayer ministry team would love to pray with you about that as well. In fact, maybe I could ask them to wander out in a moment. That would be great. Thank you. So we're going to do a bit of prayer ministry time now. Um, that's for anyone who would like to, to be prayed for about anything at all that's going on. It doesn't have to be something we talked about this morning. It could be whatever. It could be healing for yourself or for someone else. It could be situations going on in your life work, family, friends, whatever it is, we'd love to take it to Jesus with you and invite the kingdom to come in your life and that situation.